for this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our Letters to the Church series. Um, We have been doing this uh, since the beginning of October, and if you guys are maybe new to this whole faith thing, maybe you've never really been to church before, maybe this is your first time ever stepping foot into a church, um, the the Bible is actually more than just a book. It's actually this huge collection of different writings, some of them history, going all the way back to humanity's earliest understanding of creation. So we have these street books inside of the Bible. Inside of there as well, there are books about prophecy. Um, there are books that are about what people or what people felt like God was leading them to do and the consequences of not changing. So those are some pretty exciting books, sometimes really heavy-hitting. There's also tons and tons of books about poetry. or not about poetry. They are poetry. Some of them are really great for teaching us ideas, teaching us things, wise ways of living. Some of them are also pretty saucy nighttime reading, if you want to see that interesting part of the Bible. Um, But then we also have letters. There are tons of letters throughout the Bible. Many of them are written by a guy named Paul. How many of you guys have ever heard of Paul before? All right, good. He's written all these letters, so I'm glad you guys are picking it up. Okay, he's the author. So all the letters we've been going through as these letters to the church series have all been written by um, the Apostle Paul. He, at one point, had this incredible vision of Jesus, and Jesus gave him this mission, so he took it upon himself to be a coach, to be a mentor, to be a spiritual father to people all throughout the ancient world. He started tons of churches, mentored tons of men and women into figuring out what Jesus had for them, what the purpose of God's people is. And so this last letter, this is Timothy's last letter to one of his closest friends, Timothy, which we are going to be reading today. Um, So before we get into the nitty-gritty that this letter has for us, I want to ask, how many of you, by a show of hands, have ever received an actual letter written to you in the mail? That number might be dwindling as the year goes on. So a few of us. If you couldn't raise your hand, how about, like, have you ever received an email? All right, good, a little more. A text? All right, maybe junior high, you got a note passed to you by a bunch of junior high girls or boys. All of us have received a message or a letter in one form or another, and something happens. I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this in myself. Something happens when we get a letter, something emotional inside of us. There's like this anticipation that kind of grows. We wonder like, what does it say? Like, is it good? Is it bad? Is it gushy? Am I in trouble? Like, what is it? And so we open it up and we, we read our letter. We read it once. We read it twice because we want to make sure if there's any like subtleties or nuance about confessing love that we really want to make sure we get it. But we read it a few times because we are excited and eager to find out what is everything that is in this letter for me. So that is, in a sense, kind of the attitude I took as I read 2 Timothy for this week. The way I approached this text, I read it, I reread it, and I read it again, and then something emotional started to happen inside of me. It wasn't like an emotion of like joy, unfortunately. We love it when we, we read the Bible, we see these moments where it's like, oh, this is great, this is for me. It was actually this attitude, this emotion of like subtle, somber grief that just kind of came over me. And it all happened because the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, is actually a really sad and despairing letter. Paul wrote this letter from a Roman dungeon called the Telenium. And the Telenium was revered, well, maybe not revered, it was notorious for being known as one of the worst prisons. It was absolutely deplorable. Roman historians actually called it um, hideous and terrifying. And Roman officials, they didn't really care because unlike our prisons today, like lovely Stateville over on Old 66, that one's built for incarceration. 
long-term captivity for people that are deemed unfit for society. The telenium, however, was not for incarceration. It was a holding pen for men and women, much like animals, for execution. So the case was such that if Paul got out alive, he knew very well that he would not be alive much longer after he was freed from the dungeon. Paul understood this reality, so in the dark, suffocating prison, he penned his very last letter, his last letter to Timothy. And it says, Dear Timothy, my dear son, my dear son. Last week, Pastor Amy gave us a great um, detail of the close relationship that was between Timothy and Paul. Paul knew Timothy's family. He knew his grandmother. He knew his mother. He knew kind of like how their family operated. Maybe he was over there for dinner a few times. Timothy did missionary journeys with Paul. They were very, very, very close. Paul considered Timothy a son, a spiritual son. And in his last letter to Timothy, there are two themes that read so loud as I read through this letter. The first one was Timothy. Don't give up on Jesus. Remember, this is Paul's last letter. This is like, for Paul, this is like, this is the last time I get to tell my boy something. Timothy, don't give up on Jesus. And then it was Timothy. Remember, Jesus is everything in this life. There is nothing more important than Jesus. Nothing matters in this life more than him. So we're going to take some time this morning and kind of examine those two attitudes. I'm sorry if today is not going to be like a, hurrah, let's go into the future. It is going to be a sad journey through the book of Timothy. So the first attitude, don't quit on Jesus. As I read this letter, I saw once, twice, three times, four times, five times, that Paul was urging Timothy to continue in the face, to press on, to fan the flame of the gifts that God had put in him. When I, when I read this and I reread it that five times, I've said before that anytime we see repetition in the Bible, anytime we are reading, wherever it is, if we see repetition, that is a, a sign for us to remember the author, no matter who or who he or she was who was writing. They're trying to get a point across, whether it's a, an idea, a word, a statement. Listen to it. So today, let's listen to what Tim, Paul is telling Timothy. Don't give up. Five times, Paul urges Timothy to persist in leading. Why? What was happening at the church in this time that would cause Paul from a dungeon to write Timothy two letters and the second one saying, don't give up, 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 Timothy. And this is where my heart began to break because Paul urged Timothy to continue because leaders, church leaders, were bailing not just on Paul in the ancient world, but they were bailing on Jesus himself. Paul was in prison because the, there was a Roman emperor. He's famous for being evil. His name's Nero. Nero hated the church. He was seething with rage against the early church because one, he was Caesar, so he believed, I am a Lord, I am the Lord, and we don't confess that there is any Lord other than Christ. So that, there's offense number one to, to Nero. And so he used his anger to start to paint the church in an awful way. He painted 
them. One of the things that he did was they started to kind of slander the church as being incestuous people. I mean, we all call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, but we intermarry as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the ancient world, they're like, oh, they're incestuous, they're evil people. And then beyond that, he started to slander us as being cannibalistic because, as we did this morning, we ate the body and the blood of Christ our Savior as a symbol for what he did for us on the cross. But in the ancient Roman world, they're like, no, they're cannibals. They're barbarians. They interbreed. They're terrible. So Nero used all of this hatred, all of this anger, to paint the church as the villain for every nationalistic or political problem that was happening. And because of that, Nero had a solution. He said, round them up. Round up those people and execute them. He didn't care how. He just wanted us dead. And so ancient historians document some of those ways. Nero actually authorized the execution of believers by letting ravenous dogs tear us apart or putting us up on pikes and lighting us on fire as human torches. There is suffering that happens in the Christian life. And because of that, the early church was obviously concerned about its future. It was problematic and wildly discouraging for churches across the ancient world. And then even worse, they had Paul, a church father, a church leader, in prison. They were ashamed and they were fearful, so they rejected Paul, they disassociated from him, and subsequently wholesaled their faith in Christ like it was a clearance mattress sale. In a nutshell, Paul's concern was that Timothy might bail on him. The mission of the church and on Christ, which is why we see this robust encouragement Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift which is in you. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All the things you have heard me say, entrust them to reliable people so that they can teach others. Timothy, you know all about my teaching my way of life. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Timothy, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared. Correct, rebuke, encourage others with great patience and careful instruction. Paul's great concern was that Timothy, one of his greatest leaders, his close friend, and his adopted spiritual son might give up on priority number one mission of the church. So what was that mission? Did you hear it in Paul's encouragement? It was, Timothy, suffer for the gospel which was entrusted to you to entrust to others. Continue in what you have learned. Continue to disciple and develop yourself and live ready to preach, correct, rebuke, and encourage the people around you. Timothy's mission was the same mission that Paul received from Christ. It was the same mission that the disciples received from Jesus on the day he ascended into heaven. And 2,000 years later, it is the same mission we talk about every week. Know Jesus, love others, serve the world. Matthew 28, 19, I'm paraphrasing this. It says, go, make leaders and teach them the things I've taught you. These are the words of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father who created them, the Son who saved them, and the Holy Spirit which sustains us. And when you do that, go and know that I will never abandon you. I am with you always. The mission of the church has never changed. 
ever, not in 2,000 years. It is our job, our purpose, the reason we exist to raise others up in the knowledge of who Christ is so that when they are approved and mature, that they will around them raise others up to go and do the same so that they, when they are raised up and mature in the faith, will mentor and encourage others so that the faith will continue generationally. It is an inheritance that is entrusted to us. And it is our job to entrust it to others. It's the priority mission of the church until Jesus returns. And this is why Paul was so concerned, because he thought, he was watching the trends of the churches around him, and he was concerned, might Timothy quit too? Are we, are we doing this because are we forgetting the mission? I know it's hard, but is there something we are missing And so Paul, concerned that Timothy might forget what the mission was, urged Timothy, remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is the gospel. Keep reminding God's people of these things. In a few phrases, Paul laid out, remember Jesus, the guy who came. Remember that he ascended from death. He came back from dead. That is a scriptural promise, a foundation, a nuts and bolts part of our faith. Remember that he came from David, that the prophecies that told about him, he actually was from him. This is the gospel, that Jesus came, died, was resurrected, and fulfilled everything we've ever known about God. And he said this because Jesus is all that matters in this life. Because God's people He said this because God's people were distracted. The early church at this time was very much distracted. There were people arguing and bickering about different things. There was groups that had decided that, you know what, maybe the resurrection of Jesus wasn't like a physical flesh and bone resurrection. Maybe it was more of like a spiritual resurrection. So they were debating about different spiritual things back and forth, which is why Paul is telling Timothy, no, He came back from the dead. It's not this metaphysical idea. These are things that, honestly, still today, how many of you guys have ever heard that maybe Jesus isn't a person, but maybe he's more of an ideal to aspire to? There are ideas about faith all throughout Scripture, or not Scripture, all throughout time that have confused us. And a lot of times they come in the form of arguments. So Paul to Timothy wanted to correct him. Don't fight with these people that are arguing all of these things. So again, in repetition, Paul cuts straight to the point, trying to push across the fact that Jesus is all that matters in this life. He says, Timothy, warn God's people against quarreling words. They're of no value. They only ruin those who listen. Avoid, avoid it. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more and more ungodly. Their teaching is going to spread like disease, like gangrene. Timothy, don't have anything to do with these foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I want to say that again. The Lord's servant, someone who is leading others to follow Jesus, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. If you were reading my notes, everyone, highlighted, bright green, be kind to everyone, so that you will be able to teach, do not be resentful. And then Paul, again, warns Timothy, 
When the days are, are near, when the days as you go on in this, you will recognize that people are lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. They're boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They're brutal, not lovers of good. They're treacherous, rash, and conceited. We are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We have a form of godliness, but deny his influence or power in our lives. And then Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. And you might be wondering, Pastor Chris, why are you getting emotional over this? I want to be clear that this last verse, Paul's not referencing the world full of sinners, the debauchery that is outside. He's talking about the stubborn-hearted and oftentimes those of us that refuse to let God transform us. Paul's not talking to the world. He's talking to Timothy about the religious people around him, the spiritually sick. He says, they'll do you no good. They're people you love, but have nothing to do with them if they're unwilling to change. That is a hard statement to read. Last week, I posted a question on Facebook asking us as a church and some of my other friends to share what are some of maybe like of the foolish arguments or stupid things that we as the church find ourselves um, I don't really want to get into all of the nitty-gritty behind it, but I thought it'd be fun to maybe share one or two. The first one that popped up that I thought was really comical was we sometimes get in arguments about what kind of shoes pastors should wear. Um, I have $65 bass that are falling apart, and I just gorilla glued them last week, so don't worry. I'm not like spending tons of money on my footwear, but there has been an argument about there called preachers and sneakers of these pastors who are wearing $1,000 Jordans or Yeezys or something like that. Some of you guys are like, what the heck is a Yeezy? Did he just sneeze? No, it's a type of shoe. Another argument that's out there, which I had never heard of, was apparently the church, we like to argue over what charities Chick-fil-A should support. I didn't know that. I say, let them do what they want to do. It's their business, literally. But then things started to turn pretty personal pretty quickly. Um, it didn't take long for this to happen. A majority of us started to say that anything um, that is a matter of taste or prefer preference is often foolish and stupid to argue about, like maybe our music tastes, whether our blinds should be up or down on a Sunday, um, my wardrobe, other pastors' wardrobes, maybe your wardrobes, decor, carpet colors, anything political or nationalistic was all the things that were getting shared were all stupid and foolish arguments to fight about. And then I was really excited to see this, Pastor Phil Schneider, our um, denominational superintendent. He was here earlier in the year. We'll be back in the spring. He shared this. He said, just as important as what we fight about is the why we're fighting. We should avoid foolish arguments because oftentimes they are ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies. Man, some of our kids are like, Pastor Chris keeps saying stupid today. This is great. Um, there are things in eternally unimportant or things not based on identifiable scriptures that often lead us to strife. 
Then he said, strife costs us. It costs us our kindness. It costs us our patience and our ability to teach. I'm going to parenthesize, lead others. And then he said, nothing profitable ever comes from such arguments. They are a worthless waste of time. Paul and Pastor Phil share a very similar attitude in this. So if the result of stupid arguments is costing us our kindness, then maybe instead of making a list of all the arguments, we should maybe ask ourselves what are our motives. So I have a list of questions here that might stir up in you maybe some of the stupid or foolish arguments that you sometimes find yourself in. So I want to ask the first one, what do you say just to stir up the pot sometimes for fun? What are those things that you're like, oh, this will really get this person? Maybe we ought not say those things. Another, one, another question is, what topics do you talk about that cost you your kindness? Like maybe when an idea pops up, you're like, oh, I have opinions about this. I need to share them. Maybe we should be slower to speak and quicker to listen. Maybe another question to raise up some of these ideas in our lives is what conversations cause you to lose your patience with others? You know, there are a lot of things in Scripture that are worth standing for, fighting for, but there are a lot of things in our lives that are based on our personal preferences and opinions that when we hear them shared, man, we're like, I can't believe anyone would feel that way. Check yourself. Is your opinion based in Scripture And if it is, is it really worth fighting over? And so that brings me to the last question. What opinions do you have that are based on your preference rather than based on God's word? That one takes some homework. That one takes some, man, I've been in the church a long time and I've always thought the same way. Why would I need to change sort of homework? That one's tough. That one's, I can't unpack that for you this morning because I've got, oh, about 10 minutes left. But these attitudes cost us, as Paul said, and they spread like gangrene. Gangrene is an illness that causes your body to rot apart. Your fingers, your toes, your limbs, sometimes even your organs. And this all occurs when an illness gets inside of you that restricts or stops your blood flow. And I thought while I was prepping for this, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting when the blood stops flowing through you, you begin to die? And you're like, no, that sounds pretty pretty accurate. Um, When the grace, when the kindness, when the truth, when the love, when the blood of Jesus stops flowing through us, we die. God's people, when they forget why we exist, the church begins to rot apart. And I get it. I get it. Because there are a lot of opinions that I have that I think are important that I could even go to Scripture and say, this is why I think it's important. One of those is recycling. I love recycling. It is very important to me. One of the reasons we have a recycling bin in the office and outside right now is because I said, guys, this is really important. We need to recycle. Some of you guys are like, throw it all out. What does it matter? The whole whole world's going to get thrown into a lake of fire at creation, right? I love recycling. But I will never hold ransom the kindness, grace, forgiveness, or the truth about who Jesus is with someone because they don't love a little blue bin but just as much as I do. It's not worth it. So I want to ask, do you hold ransom love from a Packer fan? No, that one's silly. 
well, do you hold ransom grace or dignity from someone who says deep dish pizza is not pizza, it's a casserole in an abomination? Someone also has an opinion issue if they're saying that to you. But would you hold grace and dignity from them? Would you say, no, you're less than human because of that? And then I'm going to turn this one hard left. Do you hold kindness ransom from a group of people because they believe in a different political party than you do? If we refuse to let these foolish, stupid, and stubborn arguments go, we will quit on Jesus in favor of our personal preferences. In the beginning of the Bible, there is a story about people who said, let us build a tower so that we can make a name great for ourselves. Let us make it in our image. You know what God said about that? I'm toppling that down because that's worthless. Our personal preferences do not measure up to the mission of God. If we do, we are going to lose sight of the mission. We are going to lose the point of the mission. We are going to lose everything that Christ calls us to. So how do we change? How do we let those things go? How do we keep Jesus' mission our mission? So what was Paul's answer? Paul urged Timothy, be a leader worth following. Paul urged Timothy to train himself up in what he learned. That meant being consistently going before the Lord, going to Scripture, going before others and saying, hey, teach me the things about myself that I need to change. Paul urged Timothy to go to the Scriptures. He said, Timothy, God's Word it is God-breathed and useful for teaching. And we're going to pause. Teaching meaning telling me things I didn't know before. God's word is good for rebuking. We're like, oh, we don't want that word. But here's the thing. God, rebuking means getting in my face about the things I say I believe but do not live consistently with. God's word is good for correcting, which is exposing my messed up way of thinking and behaving. We need these. And God's word is also good for training me up in righteousness, which is showing us how to live truly human. But Paul urged Timothy, when you do this, do it with great patience and careful instruction because God's word is powerful. And if used incorrectly, you will leave a wake of destruction in your path. And our world needs no more destruction. So then in somber ending, Paul wrote Timothy this. He said, I'm about to die. Get here as fast as you can. Bring me the winter coat I left. Try hard to get here before winter. And then he gave a thank you and an encouragement to say, greet all of our friends. As mentioned each week, the goal of this series is to encourage us, but it's also to correct us and give us a vision of the future Jesus has for our church community. We look to Paul's letters into his letters to other churches to give us direction for the next chapters that God wants to write in the story of Calvary Church. So what would Paul have to say to us? I think Paul would encourage us greatly to lead like Timothy. He said, fan into flame the gifts that Christ has placed in you. Man, if we want to be a church to go into the future, we need to fan into flame some gifts that God has placed in us if we want to thrive. 
Paul urged Timothy to join him in the suffering position of leadership. Leadership is not easy. People have opinions, they have ideas, and a lot of times they're about you. Leadership is hard, but Paul's calling Timothy to it. He says, lead, and I think he would call all of us, lead. Bring other people along with you on this faith journey. Remember the things you've been taught. Teach them to others so that they can teach others, so that they can teach others, so that they can teach others. The cyclical process of discipleship is something we need to be a part of, and it takes your leadership, not mine, not Pastor Randall's, not Pastor Heather's, not anyone on this worship team, not a new lead pastor. It takes all of us for that leadership to take place. So, I think it's time maybe a few of us take seriously some of the gifts that God has placed in us, the talents, the callings that he has placed in our lives to take up that attitude of leadership. And because leadership is more than just volunteerism. It is more than just sitting on a council. It's the embrace of a sacrificial and close relationship work with others like Paul demonstrated to Timothy. Timothy, my dear son. How many of you guys need, are like, I do not have any dear faith children? We've got dear children in this room, but how many of you guys are like, I have never considered that I could disciple someone? You don't need to show your hands, but maybe show it in your heart because there is a room full of people that are close and probably well qualified to do just such that. But it means we need to take time. We need to give time to mentor one or two other people that we see that are like, man, they need a little help finding out what following Jesus is all about. But for others of us, I want us to be honest with ourselves and maybe admit like, man, I really need some help in figuring out this Jesus thing because I, I just don't get it. I, why are there two Timothys? What is the Bible? There's poetry. What's he talking about? If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to take someone to teach you and it can't just be these 30 minutes once a week. Find someone around you that you admire, that you look up to, that you respect and say, hey, will you, will you mentor me? Pastor Chris mentioned like this Paul-Timothy thing. I don't really know what it's all about, but it sounds interesting. I think I need that in my life. Will you do that for me? Make it your priority to find someone a few steps ahead of you to teach you what it means to follow Jesus. That's the first part. I think Paul would also give us a warning, though. Do not lead others if you can't be just about Jesus. Our world is distracted and it's filled with enough opinions, enough perspectives, and stupid arguments that are detracting the lost from the mission of Christ. And unfortunately, sometimes those opinions are coming from churches like ours. The church should be focused, greatly concerned with, and prioritized on communicating a story of hope of Jesus to every corner of creation in word and in action. That's our mission. Because our hope, guys, is not save the turtles. Our hope is not a plastic-free ocean. Our hope is not building a better building that looks like a church. Our hope is not in the music of the Gaithers or Hillsong or Kanye's new album. Our hope is not in a nude Lee pastor. It's not in a political right or a political left. It's not even in a Christian president. That is not our hope. It would be great. It'd be wonderful, but not our hope. Our hope is not anything other than this, Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he makes the lost found, that he is our king, that he will return, and that he will reign forever and ever. That is our hope. 
and it's all that matters. We need to communicate that with great patience and careful instruction because there are matters in this life worth fighting for. There are matters of life and death. There are matters of racial dignity. There are matters of, you know, there are great matters. But we need to communicate in patience and careful instruction. Because our world has now gained, grown to such a place where we don't like to be corrected in the church, outside of the church. And it is going to take close relational mentorship for someone to see that Jesus is really inside of us. Because whether we admit it or not, our world, and it was the same then, the world was looking at people like Timothy. Are you really what you claim to be? Do you really, the guy that you claim to follow, is he really real? I think our world is looking for a savior more than anything else, which is why we see such angry voices of injustice everywhere. But it's not our job just to fight and bicker with people. It is our job to show that there is a better way of being human, and that is to follow Jesus, who in his life showed us the perfect way to live out a human life, to love, to be sacrificial, and when it calls for it to say, my life is not as important as any opinion or any other person on this planet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for hard messages. Father, we thank you that we live in a great nation that allows us to be part of a process that allows us to govern ourselves. Father, we thank you for the fact that there are voices in this world that say, man, recycling is created creation for us to steward and manage. God, we thank you that in our world we have ideas and thoughts of what does it mean to really follow Christ in dress, in code, in any of these things. But Father, let us ever make these things more important than communicating that you came, you died, you rose from the dead, not harm anyone. Throughout the end of time, we ask this in your name. Amen.